Hello everybody, it's magical number 77, the 77th episode of News of the World, the international news program that brings conflicts and other funny things right to you at home, into your headphones, which you are probably wearing right now. And I'm saying hello. I'm Tim Pritlaff, and I'm also saying hello to Mark in Amsterdam. Oh, hello, headphone wearers. Yes, you all wear headphones. We're all in it together because we are also wearing headphones. Yes, we're yes. all connected to the bigger thing. <laughs> we're just a part of the big engine that makes us work. Yeah. Or which yeah. probably we make work. Mm. Mm. thinking about matrix for a moment mm. and then yes. try not to lo not think about it yes In don't take off your headphones <laughs> <laughs> because there might things might fall out yeah <laughs> walls fall out <laughs> <laughs> all right so we got the news list uh i think we we had a week off there Uh, in our busy, busy lives, uh, which means uh, all the more time to curate these fine stories. And I wanted to start today's news in Egypt uh, for two reasons. Uh, now, the first reason being the most latest news uh, regarding key figures of the Muslim Brotherhood that have now been given a death penalty. This includes uh, the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood and several, uh, well, uh, actually there were hundreds of people being put in this mass trial accused of burning a police station and uh, the defense was not allowed to present its case, which is generally not a good way to run a court. Uh, but this is what's going on in Egypt these days. Uh, the death sentence hasn't been carried out yet. It has to go through the the grand uh, judges panel, but they say that this is just a formality, that this is going to happen. On the other hand, uh, several hundred people were actually uh, pardoned or, or their cases were thrown out. Uh, but still, this is some very weird justice going on in Egypt. And it comes uh, on the eve or at least, you know, a month away from uh, an election in which the former military leader now turned presidential candidate uh, Sisi, He is uh, widely seen as uh, an easy winner. He gets a lot of respect. Some people will say it's all because of his brute sort of force kind of style, but it's also because he's a strong man and he's playing the strong man figure. And a lot of people are saying, great, this is what Egypt needs. Um, so you have this combination of some really fishy justice going on. Um, the, the, the inheritance in a way of the, the coup that removed the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, they've been declared a terrorist group and you're seeing all kinds of moves by the Justice Department to, to get rid of them, to, to kill them or put them in jail. And it's, uh, it's strange. Yeah, ma mainly not. kill them. I mean, we're talking about 683 people being sentenced to death for killing one policeman. Uh, yeah, and burning of a police station, uh, y yes, at this point, yeah. And, and I mean, there have been a lot more deaths than this on both sides, if you want to put them into sides, Muslim Brotherhood and non-Muslim Brotherhood. But yes, this is what it comes down to in court. Yeah, but this is really strange. I mean, that's, that's just, if you want to stage this, how could 683 people kill one guy? Did they stand in line and slap him one after another? Well, that 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 would be a lot of slaps, but uh, <laughs> would be, yeah, that's something you would probably survive in the long run if they keep slapping. Yeah. But you know, this It's, is this is really uh, you know a staged thing, and I would assume that uh, everybody knows that. But it seems as if either the uh, Egypt, uh, the people of Egypt, don't want to notice; they don't care, or Uh, as it also seems that the general public is again under control in a way as it used to be before this whole revolution thingy started. And yeah. this whole uh, power struggle here uh, with now Mr. Sisi coming to be the president, the next president, looks to me as if it's like the slowest military coup ever. 
Well, yeah, and you know, look, there's going to be a lot of comparisons to Mubarak and the continuation of that tradition. It's never quite the same. When when something like this, you know, the last three years, it's it's there are elements here that are very familiar, and you can find a lot of good journalists that point to them, and even just observers. But of course, it's not exactly the same thing. Um, you know, it, there is. You know, you can vote, for example, in the next election for an opposition candidate, and he's legit. I mean, he's ran before. He he's not going to win, <laughs> uh, but but there will be elections observers. Uh, there's a certain element. I'm not describing it well, but there's a certain element here that is a legit government that many people wanted. But of course, it's a legit government that's gone a little bit crazy, or or leadership that people wanted to come forward temporarily that became permanent, right? Because they wanted, you know, a, a large amount, let's say, wanted something done about the Muslim Brotherhood's style of leadership, which could have resulted in something quite, you know, the opposite case of what we're seeing. Another group getting rounded up, the, the non-Muslim Brotherhood's people. Yeah. Um, but still, we, we can't say that for sure because only little pieces of that were happening. Uh, but they seemed like they were on their way. Okay, so people said, we're with the military. Bring us the military. But just just like during the revolution, it was supposed to be temporary uh, with the transition to an actual open system uh, with, you know, with this new constitution that only 35% or 39% of the total population voted in general for uh, and approved it. So in, in wanting a temporary solution, they've, they have fallen back to uh, what looks and feels like the old system uh, sometimes. And yeah, it's not it's not good if you you know you wanted a democracy, you wanted more justice, you, and you're not you're not really getting it. And that's that's the tricky part. Even if you don't like the Muslim Brotherhood for different reasons, you what they're doing to them is helping their cause and harming the cause of democracy in Egypt. And everybody knows it. Yet you know they don't want to go back to what was happening. But they, yeah, I think there's a certain fear for what's to come. Um, you know, how, how crazy is Sisi once he becomes the civilian ruler? Does, how close to the Mubarak-style rule does this become? And, and I'm not sure yet. But I, I don't like the constant comparisons that, that they've gone completely backwards. It's not, it's not even going backwards. They've just gone in a really strange detour that they could end up right where they started or, or not far from where they started. Hmm. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't really look very convincing uh, to me. No, no. Uh, and it would be amazing if, if everybody voted for the opposition candidate, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> so why, why is that? Well, who is that opposition candidate? Sabahi is considered um, a Nasserist, so someone who's in this tradition of Nasser, which is this sort of left-wing nationalist uh, that believes in uh, a lot of control and regulation and, you know, Nasser was big into nationalizing thing, things. Um, and Nasserists have this old appeal in Egypt. Uh, he came in third in the last election where Morsi won. Mm -hmm. I forget who came in second at this point, but um, so he's, he's a real, you know, force in the country. He has been, but it's not as big as this force that says we want the old general he's strong and our country is a mess. You know, they have a law right now that, that has to be repealed, hopefully, for the future of Egypt, where you cannot protest. Uh, only the government can protest or stage a protest. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, that's a completely heavy-handed, anti-democratic law. On the other hand, you can bet that outside of the cities, not to speak for mass groups of people, but a lot of people were annoyed and concerned about the constant state of protests from all sides. So many people probably support this uh, law temporarily. We wouldn't know because some of the, so much of this is done undemocratically, unfortunately. But this whole thing of being the strong man and presenting yourself as the new leader, it works. In Egypt these days, a lot of people, maybe the less educated voter, if I can say that, <laughs> um, they go, yeah, good, we need this right now. Uh, or, or you're appealing to the people who used to, who didn't mind the old system compared to what's come. So they're like, eh, let's have a little little Mubarak style uh, or elements of Mubarak style. So Sisi has a lot of control, including over state media, but at the same time, his style appeals to a lot of people. Maybe for the wrong reasons, but it does. 
Um, yeah, but the problem with temporary uh, <laughs> legislature is that it usually doesn't really end. And uh, I'm pretty sure we're going yeah. to see uh, something like this. Because what is the incentive for them to open up? Last time they opened up, uh, you know, they had just had these Muslim Brotherhood uh, marching in. And what's going to be the backlash of killing 600, more than 600 people, you know? Yeah, Ooh. a lot of supporters. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. yeah, they were yeah. probably somehow involved into something, and oh, yeah. maybe they were not really, you know, on the path to a truly democratic government. Neither is Sissy, you know. Um, <laughs> That's right. Um, but now, just killing them for basically nothing. I'd say, you know, okay, a policeman was killed, but it's totally obvious that not all 683 were collaborating on, you know, doing yeah. this. It's yeah. probably more something that just happened out of the general state of rights. Anyway, uh, so what's going to happen once they uh, kill them? You have at least 600 families Mm -hmm. all already tied together by their belief system and also the organization of Muslim Brotherhood, which isn't really going to go away now. You know, it still somehow exists as it has oh, yeah. been existing for, for decades in the mm -hmm. underground. And that's where it returns now. And uh, in the long run, we'll just see more anger and terrorism and, and riots and whatnot. And it's just not going to feel and taste good. Yeah. And it seems like actually a big trap to step in by the Egyptian government. I'm surprised they step into this familiar role. Like you would go, wait a minute, this, this has a long-term negative effect for us. Like they would come up with some other strategy. But no, they, they go old school. Uh, it's, it's very odd. And I really don't know this, this guy, Sissy, very well. Over the years, I've heard his name, but no one was very inspired to talk a lot about him uh, when I was in Egypt. And now all of a sudden, he's the name. Yeah, and I, I think it really needs a a move of the government to sort of offer something to these Muslim Brotherhood people and Islamic guys. You know, what's 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 the um what's his vision for them? I mean they're still a part of that country. They're not going to go away. Um so there have to be has to be some kind of inclusion and if this doesn't happen You know, what would you do if you are the suppressed minority? Uh, regardless of what you are up to and think is right, but once there's nothing to gain from you, just uh, instead of a government that is killing your family members for basically nothing, yeah. uh, it doesn't matter. Oh, they, they just hope that by calling it terrorism, like a lot of other countries, oh, that yeah. it'll just be stamped out. Yeah, that, that worked <laughs> yeah. well for the US and everybody else, didn't it? Didn't we win the war on terrorism? <laughs> What, what's the score? Uh, listen, I want to recommend, uh, especially in, in the, actually for all the issues we've just been talking about, a, a podcast with far more educated, no offense to us, um, uh, guests and moderators and so forth. The Arabist, uh, who I visited with uh, in Cairo, they do a podcast semi, I don't know, monthly more or less. And last week or this week they released the latest edition where they have a journalist, an Egyptian journalist, and a few others uh, talking about the different candidates and what's been going on. And they're a great podcast, The Arabist, uh, for, for this kind of information, for more in-depth Egypt information. Uh, all right, let's go to Turkey. Turkey, and you pointed this one out to me, that the Turkish Secret Service just got a whole bunch of new powers. And it's not just, you know, nicer cars and, uh, and a few vacation perks they now have new powers for let's see surveillance um immunity so uh you know if they do commit some kind of crime uh, there's more uh power to do so without any punishment um there's even some new with this new law comes uh, other provisions including prison terms of up to 10 years for journalists who published leaked information now this is because or <laughs> coincidentally Uh, there was this leak 
of a phone tap, a recorded conversation between Erdogan and his son, where they're talking about well, well, getting it money. On, yeah, it wasn't only, it was, it was this one and there were others. I, I think it's in total, it was at least three. So this is going on for a long time. And this was also behind the uh, blockade of both Twitter and YouTube. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, which in the case of Twitter, I think, has been. Um, Twitter is available uh, yeah. again. YouTube isn't. Uh, I don't know what the current state is. And although the highest court said, like, oh no, this can't happen, you know, eh, the government isn't really very fast in uh, following up on on this rule. So yeah, the state of Turkey is really bad, and it's it, it's looking to get uh, worse every time. And it's interesting that now that uh, the problem is phone tapping they're going to answer <laughs> with uh, you know more phone tapping done by the secret service what could possibly go wrong <laughs> anyway um, this is just a sign that that the situation is uh, worsening and we had just this uh, very special uh, incident with the german president gauk who was visiting uh, turkey these days <laughs> and you know he had a talk a chat with uh, erdogan for I don't know, uh, uh, an hour or so. I was obviously hinting, uh, you know, at things because he's known for you know, taking general, uh, taking a general position of, you know, opening up freedom and so on. That's his history. And uh, no doubt mm -hmm. Erdogan wasn't really listening. <laughs> anyway, right. right after this meeting, uh, Gauk went to an opening of a Turkish-German university and standing there together with the Turkish president, Gül, who is not, you know, as bad. Yeah, no, he's not, um, right, right. And, but during this event, you know, Erdogan was in parliament holding a speech and then actively uh, accusing Gauk of, you know, stepping too far and uh, was uh, pounding on him uh, for his remarks and saying, oh, yeah, he still thinks he's still a pastor, you know. Um, uh -huh. Crazy, you know, nobody, I, I, I think that at least in Germany, nobody really has any expectations left for uh, this guy and more or less everybody's just waiting for this government to collapse. But right. strangely enough, and this is uh, also interesting when uh, just after looking at the situation in Egypt, you know, there's still so many people supporting him just for being the strong guy, you know. Yeah. And um, nobody knows where this is leading. This is something, and it's not, some people will try to say it's cultural, and you could try that in different countries in this world and say, or different cultures in this world and say, that culture likes a strong leader. But I, I, I think there's something connected here to, uh, oh, I'm going to try it, less educated voters, uh, if if fear if fear is a major part of your national psyche and that's the case in a lot of countries, mm -hmm. um, then the strong candidate is going to get more support generally. Uh, if he acts strong, you know that's enough. That's enough to charm the fear voters. And I think what you can get in Turkey, I wonder. I've never seen one of those maps like we had for Ukraine showing where the support is, but I'm guessing that in all metropolitan areas in Turkey. Mr. Erdogan's support is lower than compared to what it is in the countryside. But the countryside in Turkey is massive. So that's where I, I start to think he's appealing to the lowest, that's the secret of politics, really, the lowest common denominator, the I am scared of what happens to us if we don't have you. But, but they just had regional elections. And, uh, and he his, did well. And, yeah, yeah, and he did even well in Istanbul. So... <laughs> Oh it's, really? It's, oh, I didn't know that. Okay. It's not that. Uh, it's not that easy, and it's really strange. And it's also uh, again that he's sort of uh, pointing to powers from outside. You know, foreign countries right. are collaborating to draw uh, government anti-government plots against Turkey. So he's really uh, pulling the the national uh, card here. And I wonder, have you seen this strange? Um, ad they put on TV uh, for the last election. It was so bad that they even had to take it uh, back because the court said that this is uh, unlawful. Um, we should put a link to this. I, I'm pretty sure it's still on YouTube. It's like um, a horde of people running through 
Istanbul is all CGI, so it's like like a massive amount. Looks like a zombie movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're all running to a huge flag standing in, in the city of uh, Istanbul, all climbing up that flag because uh, they they want to save the country. So the whole propaganda for his re-election, or it wasn't really his re-election because he wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really him in these polls because it was just regional elections but everybody knew it was sort of about him and if his party would lose he would lose uh, as well so they made a big fuss out of this and the, the whole uh, way of presenting this is like Turkey is endangered you know we have to save the nation and so on mm-hmm. uh, it's really annoying uh, yes, and and annoying that it works. Uh, that's, yes, that's the most annoying part. Yeah, I did find a, a map and an analysis of that. You know, the typical 2014 election, and you see the little patches. And man, yeah, the 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 what are they called? The Truth and Justice Party or the Justice Party? They really have this map covered, and it's just little spots along the edges that are from opposition parties. Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, this is not the last we're going to hear from Erdogan, but this could be uh, the sign of a a bigger shift or maybe the beginning of the end when you start to change laws and give extra power to your Secret Service. We do not know. Let us go to an investigative uh, piece, an investigative journalism piece that was published in Le Monde Diplomatique. Um, It's on the U.S. military in Africa. Now, this is... The command of the U.S. military in Africa is known as um, AFRICOM. Uh, nice, catchy, lots of letters. Mm-hmm. And um, interestingly, this this investigative piece by Nick Terse, who I guess I follow on uh, Twitter. I don't know where we crossed paths, or I just respect his work, but um, basically breaks down to a very active presence of AFRICOM in, in, on the continent. 10 exercises, 55 operations, 481 security cooperation activities. Now, he breaks it down to something like almost one or 1.5 military activities per day, exercises per day on the continent of Africa by the United States. And it's really interesting. He even uses one of our favorite things, an infographic where he shows where exactly in Africa the U.S. military is acting. And then there's the different kinds of actions. So in the case of Mali, in the case of uh, Central African Republic, which recently had those troubles with the government, uh, France was active there, the French military, but the U.S. provided air support. But then you have the training of military. And actually, Tim, you and I run into these photographs all the time when we're looking for album art on Flickr and we tend to search perhaps for African countries, different African countries, we always run into U.S. military stock photographs of them doing things in different parts of Africa with military, with their local military. So Nick Terse lays out this uh, program that, you know, they've, they started in 2008 with AFRICOM. And they've basically expanded 217%, a 217% increase in operations since they started. Now, some of that makes sense because when you start, you don't have as many exercises. But it's also interesting because it's a very quiet expansion. Uh, there's a lot of discussion of the U.S. military's role in the Middle East, for example, and where they want to have bases. But what this points out is watch as the U.S. military, like a hand, spreads over Africa in different roles – and, and and I would even argue not all for negative. Uh, perhaps some cooperation is useful, not only okay for the U.S.'s interests, but also for certain countries, perhaps a, a more disciplined military. I don't know. Is there a special <laughs> program that, that, you know, you notice that, that sounds fishy or is especially um, troubling? The night raids and the uh, the drone strikes, well, there we go. That's an old topic. But even these night raids that are supposed to target kidnapping or terror suspects in uh i mean this could happen anywhere apparently but as we look at what's going on in nigeria or we look towards somalia that never makes the news right this information never comes out so there are these anti-terror operations that are going on and there's no journalist there a matter of fact they point out in this article that a handful, a handful, so (laughs) five, um, of journalists actually get access to some of these operations. So it's very controlled, and there's not many ways that, that, you know, this information is going to leak out uh, unless from a a military 
service member, which is rare these days. Uh, so the the night raids, yeah, the anti-terrorists kidnap. Oh, they're not kidnapping. Sorry, uh, arresting and seizing of people uh, that are accused of you know working for different groups. That makes me a little bit uh, wonder what's going on and want to know more. I wonder what the focus is here and what the, the core interest is. Uh, I know they, they have been uh, involved in the uh, split of Sudan and South uh, Sudan, which didn't really turn out to work as well as they probably planned it. Yeah. Um, we haven't really covered South Sudan recently, but it's still in a bad condition. Yeah. Um, so still a lot of fighting going on with groups uh, involved from uh, both Sudan and South Sudan. Uh, all these tribal uh, conflicts mixed with uh, international conflicts. So I don't really know what the the path is that 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 the U.S. is following here. Well, what's interesting is you know you just mentioned the Sudan conflict. How often have you heard about the U.S. military involvement? I would say not often. So they're successfully involved, yet you don't see the brand name on there. No, it's more a political uh, engagement. I think they, they had, um, but they're not directly militarily uh, involved. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah, uh, why I don't know what, what, what this is all for. Oh, I think it's a multi, you know, multi-purpose. So, you know, if you look on this, this infographic, it's not the greatest infographic ever, but uh, you get like, you know, Niger border security. So they're, they're supporting Niger border security. So they're, that could involve Nigeria, that could involve the different, of course, terrorist groups we talk about, like uh, Boko Haram. Uh, so they're getting involved, they're watching, they're, they're acting in some cases. But some stuff is more innocent. You've got um, gender integration on, in South Africa and in the, the neighboring countries for their military. So the U.S. is somehow involved in that. I guess having experience in this world uh, with that. Um, a lot of training, a lot of drone support. I know like in Kenya, the U.S. military provides these Raven uh, drones to them. So, you know, they're helping. How do you run them? How do you use them? And And making use of them, especially in the context of Somalia. And so it's, uh, I, I think they've got tons of plans, some of them more innocent than others. Um, well, you know, what the article is suggesting in some ways, and Le Monde Diplomatique is, is quite uh, not shy about <coughs> accusing the U.S. military of, of, of all kinds of things, is they're, they're suggesting that the U.S. military is, um, wants to have a hand on everything and control, you know, in some ways. And, and yeah. Yeah, every now and then it's worth looking um, on a non-projected map of the world, comparing Africa with the rest of the world and then noticing that this area is so huge, mm -hmm. you know, it's such a huge place that just talking about Africa alone doesn't really uh, make a point here because Northern Africa and Mid-Africa, Southern Africa, these are totally... Um, discoupled regions somehow with totally different mix and issues. Uh, North Africa is, uh, you know, the Islamic part. Um, we had the trouble in the northern African countries recently. You just talked about Egypt and Libya and Algeria and so on. And the the main problem here, I think, for the U.S. is sort of helping France. Uh, um, You know, staying in, uh, in uh, enough in power to secure their atomic resources, the nuclear resources in uh, this area. Mm. Uh, Nigeria is more about oil, and uh, mm. this whole mid belt is more about oil, and not so sure what's the situation in southern Africa. Um, when it comes to Somalia, it's of course uh, very close to the Middle East uh, regions and. Uh, Yemen, and uh, it's more part of the international terrorist mm. uh, issues. So it's it's many stakes that are and, involved here. And by the way, th there's a lot of cooperation. I mentioned France, uh, but also Germany, Italy, uh, the Netherlands. Uh, a lot of European countries and other African countries are involved in this so-called AFRICOM. And these, I was just reading about. Uh, an operation called Silent Warrior 2014, uh, which apparently was done in cooperation with the German military. And this is all different projects for different parts of Europe. As you said, 
lots of different reasons, lots of different cases in the country. But still, it's an interesting grocery list, this this article. I do recommend it. Uh, we'll put a link to it. And um, I mean, you're, I would say we're going to hear a lot more about this, but you may not because <laughs> so much of this is silent, is where the reporters aren't, uh, nor blogger for that matter, and so on. Uh, so that's an interesting read, uh, and it's, it's actually from uh, over a month ago, but still very, very relevant. All right, let's go to uh, an update uh, from South Korea. Uh, as many of you will recall, last time on this program, we led with the South Korea ferry accident. Um, the latest developments were the government has been uh, very active trying to figure out you know, who's responsible, who was neglecting what, and we've had three arrests, uh, the raiding of a call center where the initial, uh, I guess, uh, emergency calls came in. And uh, so far, the arrests are suspicion of destroying evidence connected to the, the sinking of the ferry. Uh, they're also checking on the Coast Guard about all those, again, the initial calls for rescue. They were questioning the rescuers who first saved the captain saying, why did you do that? And, you know, they're basically saying, I didn't know it was the captain. It was just a guy in the water. Um, it's amazing that it seems like most of the crew survived. Um, but again, that goes back to what we talked about in, in the first time, the first week of this, that the, the crew or the, the advice to the passengers was stay where you are. And in this article uh, that CNN actually ran, it gives you some transcripts of what was, I guess, recorded. It was, of course, there was footage recorded of the last uh, moments of this ship, the last minutes. And you hear uh, the announcement saying, everybody stay where you are. Do not move from where you are. So they've got the, the life vests on, the ship is sinking, and they're being advised to stay where they are. Um, so this is, again, one of those questions of negligence and, and a crime, generally. The South Korean prime minister... He resigned uh, as a sign of, you know, apologies for mishandling it. So the government is taking responsibility, um, but then, of co- as we see, trying to figure out who was responsible for the the strange uh, lack of rescue or just the way the ship went down. Also, why the ship uh, was in the condition that it was in. There's talk about um, cargo and uh, putting too many passengers on, um, somehow raising the limit. Uh, to in order to fit more people, yeah, and it's probably also the cargo wasn't uh, properly tied to yeah, the ship. About, yeah, shifting cargo. I read that in the last section of this article. Yeah, because uh, once once the, the ship turned, uh, then it all went downhill from there pretty fast, and that's an indication that all the cargo wasn't properly tightened and you know just fell over, and then you know mm. when, once you're there. Uh, it's almost impossible to save the ship. Yeah. Multiple so, multiple failures coming all together for a big tragedy. Yeah. Strange. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the update on the ferry uh, accident. I think there still would be one more update, which would be when they finally hand out whatever... Uh, accusations and, and apprehend people and there'll be some kind of a trial. We still haven't gotten to that point. No. Let's go to a more science energy-related story. I picked this one up on Fast Company, a source we've used before on this program. There's this thing, you know, it says solar energy reaches grid parity. That's a key term there. Many of you might recognize grid parity in certain European countries, including uh, Germany, Spain was on the list, and I think Italy somehow. And now grid parity basically means uh, one, you know, considering the whole lifespan of a solar panel um, and the gains that you make, uh, the amount of energy and the costs for installing and everything, that it is now equal or cheaper to having just regular grid uh, electricity in only these countries. Uh, which is one of those classic questions I think a lot of people have, uh, maybe many listeners that we have already do solar on their on their house. Um, but, you know, does it pay off? Is it more affordable? And we always hear about the promise that it will be. Uh, but, of course, there are many, and again, this report um, shows how in some countries that's not the case. Uh, in the U.S., for example, uh, they've had this solar 
tax credit and it's being well it's ending uh and basically without that tax credit it uh it isn't equal to the uh cost of just being on the grid uh france for example has an issue where electricity is apparently relatively cheaper than in these other countries so it's harder to achieve this so-called grid parity i don't know if this is a big deal i i found it to be interesting uh ideally it's what you want if you're a pro solar energy person (laughs) which i think anybody could and should be um the idea that not only is it good uh is that it's also uh, money wise a good decision for your for you personally i don't know what do you make of this tim um well first of all we need to note that this report is from a company that is you know, <laughs> self related to renewable energy uh yeah. they do consulting there so take it with a grain of salt but anyway uh i mean the whole um movement that was once started by the german uh renewable energy act which you know i think i mentioned this before one of the more uh internationally more uh successful german laws because it's been copied a lot in, uh, at least in europe um Although it's Germany itself who isn't really treating this act uh, that well. Uh, basically, it was all about, you know, once you install renewable energy sources like solar power, you know, we are going to guarantee you a price uh, you mm-hmm. get when you reinsert the uh, produced energy into the grid. And this is also, this is one source of raising energy costs. Because there's so much of it now. It has been so successful. You know, Germany is close to 25% renewable energy, uh, uh, which is a number that was like highly disputed if this could be ever reached, you know. Um, and, and now it was really going fast and you can only get the feeling that, you know, if we got to 25% so fast, you know what stops us from going fifty and seventy five percent? Although there are lots of issues with uh, renewable energies, because uh, you know there's sort of following certain cycles you can't easily control. Wind isn't always there. Yeah, sun the isn't variables. always there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think the whole uh, area is still looking for good answers to the problem of storing energy. And there uh, have been lots of you know approaches to this but you know at least there's no general consensus of how this could work out if we would uh, in some future uh, depend on 100 percent renewable uh, energy which i think we have no choice anyway so we have to just find something out but you know the uh uh there are a lot of companies who still make good money from coal and and, and nuclear power plants so uh, of course they are behind their original uh, investments um so but it's interesting to see that there are more signs of this whole vision of renewable energy to work. You yeah. know? The more you focus on it and the more you support it, uh the more people just come out with interesting uh new approaches and, and find out like, oh yeah, here we have um something that was a Big pain in the ass for 20 <laughs> years now, but look what I found, and now it works. Uh, it's just a matter of trying. And um, I really love to see this work out in my lifetime. Of course, yeah, yeah. And, and it, it has, seems, yeah, 25% is already quite something. It is, it is. Wh- and now with, with the, uh, the conflict with Russia... You know, hmm. which is not really part of our list. This uh, for a change, <laughs> they are for a change. I mean, not that nothing hasn't happened, but it's still, uh, still the, the, this turmoil that nobody knows what's actually going on. So we skip that. But uh, of course, it's also changing the discussion on energy in Germany and and Europe throughout. Poland has come up with the. Uh, idea of a European energy, uh, I don't know how they call it, pact, you know, which isn't, which is an interesting idea. And when I first heard it, I thought like, yeah, why didn't we have this already? Because, you know, uh, this whole European Union sort of was about this in the beginning. 
you know the the very first european structure way before we had something called european union was the uh coal. union on coal and and and, and steel and uh because these were the the energy sources uh Uh, that were driving both the economy but also driving, of course, the uh, build-up of weaponry for war. So this was sort of the beginning of the European Union. And uh, these days we find uh, a new... Um, yeah, this... Uh, a new motivation to unite around this topic... For other reasons, just because everybody sees like, okay, we're really depending on on Russia here with our core assets. Uh, not so much the Western European countries, Spain, Portugal, I think they are not really getting any Russian gas at all. But in, in Germany, which is, you know, considered uh, to be the motor of European economy, uh, the dependencies are significant. And it has been... Uh, at the core of uh, German politics in the last 20 years to even improve the uh, relationship to Russia. Well, this didn't really work out well, did it? Um, and now we've got these pipelines and make use of it, but it's obvious that this isn't really sustainable when it comes to conflicts like these. So mm. I wouldn't be too surprised, wouldn't be too surprised to see in the next European legislature, you know, Uh, elections are coming up. We haven't really talked about this, but we probably should in one of our upcoming shows. Um, that, that that could be one of the main topics of the next round of the European Commission and uh, Parliament. Yes. Uh, it's interesting to me also, you know, here you're describing how a, a conflict and, and basically... Well, it becomes a, a reason for these group of nations, in this case the European Union, to to further unite or, or you know figure out a collective strategy. And it's funny that back in the U.S., I always remember, and it still is today, there's been this huge motivation to be so-called independent energy-wise, mm -hmm. and especially free of the influence of the Middle East. I mean, in a way, it's a myth that's that's uh, been going around for a long time that you could be, but still. It has motivated a lot of uh, voting, a lot of politicians, and a lot of actual energy policy, which is uh, – it, it's amazing what actually motivates people to get together. It's sometimes kind of scary. Yes. <laughs> only conflict, only fear, and so on. Necessity, I guess they would call it. I would say like energy and resources are behind most of the wars and conflicts we have today. Also this yeah. engagement in Sudan, which was talked about by the U.S. and so on. No, this is not only a place where war is going on. It's all about resources. It's all about exploration. It's all about those so-called um, rare uh, substances that are not that rare, actually, but no, just not well produced uh, all over the planet. And the problem that, that most of those resources are now either in China or you have a China that tries to get their hands on it uh, in Africa especially. So we haven't really mentioned that, but I think this is also uh, related to the uh, engagement of the US and Africa somehow. And it's also one of the driving forces in the current European conflict that is the Ukraine crisis. So back to the report with, uh, with interesting information like this that you can actually make this work. You know, mm -hmm. I'd say... Why not go all for it, you know, and uh, be very bold in, 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 in further uh, furthering the cause and, um, you know, yep. get more of this stuff. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Uh, let's go to a next item. Now, this one is more of a, is this something? Is this a news item? Will this be something? As, as curious media minds uh, running this program and other programs, we have to take a note at least uh maybe it will amount to nothing but facebook haha <laughs> facebook it uh launched a its own newswire uh just recently the announcement came through i read about it in pointer uh which usually analyzes you know the effect on media from other tech and, and other things happening in society so there's this thing now called facebook newswire and it's actually built on Uh, this service called Storyful. And if you start pulling on the threads here, uh, Storyful is this 
Twitter-like, TweetDeck-like news, you know, fast news updates. And oddly enough, News Corp bought it some time ago. Uh, we're talking a year ago, in fact, for, oh, I don't know, $25 million. Now, News Corp has b- bought things that didn't amount to much before. It's not a big deal to them. But it's interesting to me, and therefore I pointed out, that now Facebook is promoting this idea that we're going to have a news wire. Uh, and to some extent, we can act like a news agency, except that all of our so-called reporters are just a bunch of Facebook users, may or may not be on the site uh, of, of wherever the news is taking place. I'm looking at it now. I All I see is U.S.-related stories. I don't know if that's connected somewhere in my account, uh, but it, it, it so far it's quite disappointing. But I, I bring it up because you cannot ignore uh, that you know, this merging of social media and news is not going away, at least not now. And if Facebook gets involved more, uh, it's going to have power, whether or not it deserves it. You know, people are going to look to Facebook for news. They already do, uh, again, unfortunately, in many cases. Um, so here we go with perhaps the next step, you know, or, or perhaps nothing, perhaps it dies. So I don't want to talk about it for too long, but I wanted to point out this, this creation of Facebook newswire, um, be afraid world. Yeah. It's interesting that they are coining it as a resource for journalists. Yeah. And not for the general public. Hmm. So it's supposed to be, you know, for you actually mark hi thank where you where you so much. can get your pre-filtered information <sighs> yeah facebook makes me sigh every day yeah but but we have to deal with it tim because you know there's look we want to reach people right and there's a certain number it's a big number of people who are not only using it but relying on it for a lot of different types of daily information that is significant to me that that matters even if i don't like it it matters so that's where i'm i keep an eye and i say is this something every time they make a move i say is this something and uh, facebook newswire might be nothing i myself never paid attention to storyful uh but i'm going to keep an eye i'm not saying i'm gonna like it by clicking on the like button i'm just gonna occasionally browse over and keep an eye out for that name in the news yeah I still don't like it. Good. Stay out. I'll I'll stay in. I'll be the insider. <laughs> and I'll let you know what's going on. You and are if, my embedded journalist. Yes. Yeah. And if I get infected somehow, you'll be safe. So you carry on the mission of news of the world. <laughs> uh, Face, Facebook embedded journalist. Gets lost. Uh, all right. Now, this will not be our news source of the week. We have actually previously mentioned today Le Monde Diplomatique. Now... If you've ever traveled to France or been browsing French media, you know the, the name Le Monde. But, of course, you should know there's a difference with Le Monde Diplomatique. Traditionally, a more foreign news-focused source, a little more brainy and, yes, left-leaning, very critical of uh, what we call liberalism and, and the power of money and certain dominant nations. So Le Monde Diplomatique, I didn't know this, they're now doing uh, English uh, online. Uh, And so some familiar journalists are are appearing, uh, for me anyway, uh, in Le Monde Diplomatique. That's where our AFRICOM story came out. And I noticed a cooperation with a few uh, U.S., uh, very famous for being critical, sources like Tom Dispatch, for example, uh, very famous for being one of the few places where there's still investigative journalism with a very, you know, an emphasis on being critical. So... uh, very excited. I'm going to keep an eye out now on their uh, English feed. I liked their French work, but it was often over my head uh, as much as I am a fan of the language. And so there's Le Monde Diplomatique. They are owned by Le Monde, but they are um, considered editorially independent, so run by different staff and uh, not told, (laughs) we assume, not told uh, what to do. And you can see that by the content differences, Le Monde being much more mainstream, uh, Le Monde Diplomatique featuring a lot more very critical stuff of the powers that be in this world. Uh, so that's my news source of the week. Yeah, and Le Monde Diplomatique is, it's not new. I mean, it's been, uh, uh, I don't know, how long? Forever? Well, I think it goes 100 years almost at this point. Really? Uh, early 1900s, I would put it at. Let's see. Where we got? Where is it? 
We ask the only one who could know. The, the internet. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what? I went too far. 1954. Uh-huh. Well, it's still old. Yeah, we're getting there. Yes. Not a hundred years. I correct myself. Yeah. So there is yet another source for your newses, and it'll go in our grand database of news sources. Uh, yes. Yeah, which you find on our website. What website is that, Tim? It's newsoftheworld.com. Dunam. Oh, of course, it is news with a Z. It is, because it's slightly different. So we also spell it slightly more differently. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I always think of those early comments. News with a Z. Grow up, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're slowly getting there. Yeah, we're working on growing up. Yes. Uh, but we keep our Z, and we are glad to keep you as our audience. All the comments are always appreciated as well. And the, the flatters always always an essential part of what we do here so thanks for listening and uh, i believe we'll be with you uh after oh after the grand republica coming up tim yes there's definitely not going to be a show next week because we're <laughs> i'm going to be super busy uh with everything that's going on here in berlin this is uh, the the other crazy week in the year um yeah so yeah and we're going to do a lot of podcasting starting with the uh, podlove workshop this weekend and then directly going over to uh, the Sendezentrum, our broadcasting podcasting broadcasting studio at republica where you can join live so you can just walk in and then you know see people actually produce their shows on stage uh, including Uh, us, that's um, Claudia and Ralf of uh, WikiGeeks uh, fame and me, we are the Sendezentrum uh, team, we're going to be there on a daily basis produce the magazine Sondersendung uh, which is all in German of course and uh, yeah, it's going to cover this event this worked out pretty uh, nicely last mm. two times we uh, did it and you know, we're very excited to have a new room at Republika and I hope we can You know, uh, see many uh, listeners live watching what's going on. Talk to us. Uh, so if you are at Republica, just come by, say hello, uh, watch us doing our thing and uh, probably comment on it. Yep. And uh, I will not be present at Republica, but I will be experiencing it via Tim and via all your tweets regarding the event. Uh, I'll be here teaching sociology to the youth of Amsterdam. You can also train your German and watch the live video stream that we're okay. going to have. Because this time there will be both an audio stream and an audio video stream as well. So uh, even if you're not there, you can you know watch it over, okay. over the magic that is the internet. Sounds very good. All right, busy man. Uh, we will catch you all when it all is possible again. And uh, goodbye. Goodbye.